All right, welcome in. It's First and Ten, the podcast. I'm Matt Hayes on the Saturday Down South Podcast Network. It is rivalry week, people. Oh, yes, it is. There are very few weeks like this in all of sport. And there are very few rivalries in all of sport like the Iron Bowl. We'll break it down this week as well as the other big rivalry games in the SEC. We'll talk about the importance of that Iron Bowl. And clearly it's a kind of winner-take-all to the SEC championship game. And that would mean one step away from the college football playoff for Alabama and Auburn. Got a fun special guest this week. We're going to talk to Tommy Dees, my good friend from the Tuscaloosa News. He's the executive sports editor there. Tommy's seen many, many of these Iron Bowls. We're going to break it down in every way possible, and we will get you ready for the Iron Bowl. I'm telling you, and I've said this now for I don't know how long, there really only is one rivalry in college football, and frankly, I think it's the best rivalry in all of sports. We'll talk with Tommy about that. We're also going to get into, of course, more coaching changes on the horizon. You know, we spoke about this probably a month ago on this podcast, and I was telling you that there could be as many as half of the SEC's coaches will have turnover at the end of the year. And it's starting to look like that's a distinct possibility. But first, we got to do a little house cleaning. I want to talk about our wonderful sponsor, Bud Light. The Bud Light tailgate party continues this week in Columbia, South Carolina for another bitter, bitter rivalry. Clemson and South Carolina. This week's location is at the corner of Bluff and Hemlock Roads. The party starts four hours before kickoff, which of course means you got a lot of time to get ready for that nasty, nasty rivalry that's going to play out in Williams-Brice Stadium. Complimentary Bud Light is available, and catering is by Worst Wagon. And if you want to check out what kind of food Worst Wagon delivers, go to theworstwagon.com. That's T-H-E-W-U-R-S-T. W-A-G-E-N dot com. Spell it a little odd. I'll spell it one more time. T-H-E-W-U-R-S-T-W-A-G-E-N dot com. Worst wagon. All right, and remember, you got to be 21 or older to get in. And then you guys sneaking in with fake IDs, all right? All right, now it's my pleasure to welcome in my good friend Tommy Dees from the Tuscaloosa News, executive sports editor of that fine newspaper. And this is the one thing I love about Tommy. Whenever I go to Tuscaloosa, I always end up talking with Tommy. Or whenever I see Tommy in an event like a, a national semifinal or the championship game or a bowl game, we always like talk about Nick Saban, not the coach. So earlier this week when Saban talked about the jeans with the holes in them, I started laughing and tweeted out, these are the best moments with Nick Saban when he's not even talking football. These are clearly the best moments. And Tommy, you and I always talk about him away from the field. He's such a unique dude away from the field, and I don't think people really get that. Yeah, he he has a real dry sense of humor when when he lets it come through, and uh, he'll surprise you with that. Uh, you know, I, I saw that labeled a rant. That wasn't a rant. We know what a rant is. That was right. that was just an off the cuff Nick Saban, you know, get off my lawn, old man saying, you know, what what's up with these kids today with the ripped jeans? Uh, but but he's got a little of that in him, and uh, he he is a very very thoughtful guy in a lot of ways. You know, one of my first impressions of Nick Saban, and this was much uh, better look into who he is as a coach and as a person. Uh, at SEC Media Days when he was at LSU, and they had uh, basically they had done away with back-to-back two-a-days at that time, and uh, that was you know the first time since they had decided to 
teams couldn't do that anymore. The, the coaches were addressing it. And uh, he basically said, well, we had done a five-year study on that and, and found that when we had back-to-back two-a-days, our injuries in practice increased this much. So I just forwarded all that to the committee so they'd have some data to work with. Well, he, he approaches things kind of like a scientist. Um, he is a mad scientist. And, and I think that's true of a lot of things. He's very analytical in what he does. Um, and he is, you know, way focused on football, but there is a little more to him. He does like his little Debbies and things like that. All right, so since you brought up football, let's look, this is what it's all about this week anyway. And I, I, I've been contending, you know, for years now that not only is, is the Iron Bowl the best college football rivalry, but I really believe it's the best rivalry in all sports, including including the Yankees and the Red Sox. I mean, I just think it's just this game – the passion that it evokes, the, the sheer hatred that it evokes, is is mind-boggling. So, so you've been around Tuscaloosa a long time, Tommy. When did it hit you? You think the first time it hit you that this thing was serious? Well, I grew up in Tuscaloosa, and, and it's always been a big deal. But it, it really, I think, took on a new dimension in that period in the 1980s. First of all, when when Auburn beat Bear Bryant, um, you know that that had not been happening. Um, and, and it kind of, you know, Pat Dye came in and things changed a little bit. But when you have Pat Dye and Ray Perkins uh, as, as the two coaches in the 1980s, and they really hated each other. They had the same birthday. I can't remember. I think it was an October birthday, maybe October 30th or something. And every game for about a five- or six-year period was was like an all-time marquee game. And that's when it became a nationally known rivalry. That's when Lane, um, you know, um, Lee Excuse me, Van Tiffin was kicking a 52-yard field goal in the last play. That's when Bo over the top happened. That's where when Bo ran the wrong way and Brent Fullwood uh, got, you know, on a fourth down attempt, got run out of bounds at the goal line. Every game in that period of time was like that. It came down to literally like the last play. And I think then the nation took notice. Um, and it's a better rivalry when Auburn's good, um, you know, and, and Auburn's been one of the few teams that, that can do anything, not every year, but but has been able to beat Nick Saban, you know, the kick six and all that kind of thing. Um, you can call it a fluke if you're an Alabama fan, but the fact is Auburn has won a couple of those, and uh, and and that's rare. You know, there's we're running out of active football coaches who have a win over Nick Saban. <laughs> that, I mean, there's some absolute truth to that. You can read Tommy and the rest of his terrific staff, by the way, tightsports.com. Tommy's also uh, – Big and Associated Press sports editors. Are you the president now, Tommy? Are you, have you? Has it? I am the past president. Much past president. I'm past president. I, I finished my term this summer, and that's a a much better position to be in than being president. Um, <laughs> it sounds good. It's nice that you know you, you feel like you're a little more esteemed or something, and then you don't have to do all the work. All right. So, so you talked about the '80s when it got big. To me, I think when it really got big on a national stage in this social media age was 2010 with Cam Newton. And, and I think mm-hmm. it's just become, it's just become at another level right now. And, and I think when you, when you look at this game and you look at the hatred between these two teams, it, it's just, it kind of transcends the sport right now. So now we roll into this, this season where Alabama's won three in a row now, where Auburn now, after struggling early in the year, kind of finding itself right in the ship a little bit. Now Auburn's got a chance to win out. And get to the college football national playoff. And then, of course, Alabama's got a chance to get to yet another college football playoff. This is a big game right now. And I think it's, it's big more than just on the field. It's also 
coaching wise. I mean, we're you know two weeks ago, Tommy, we were talking about Gus Malzahn. Well, he might get fired if he doesn't beat Georgia. He might get fired, and now all of a sudden, Gus might go to Arkansas. Gus might win out, go to the college football playoff, then get a huge extension. It's this game and this rivalry kind of does this, right? It just everything just fluxes. It's so fluid. Yeah, and that's not a new thing. You know, Bill Curry more or less was, you know, he, he took another job at Kentucky, but he was kind of pushed out because he was coach at Alabama, I guess, a three-year, four-year period and didn't beat Auburn, even though he recruited well, even though he was in a Sugar Bowl game against Miami that, that they got beat, but that, that could have been another national championship for Alabama, uh, conceivably. Um, and, and Miami won and got their national title. It wasn't one versus two, but that's not how it worked back then. Um, so yeah, it's important at either school that you beat the other in any sport, really. Um, and, and right. it's certainly more intense in football. And you mentioned the, the Yankees and the Red Sox. Yeah, who won the second game of that series last year? Nobody knows. No Nobody remembers. Nor, nor do I care. Big... <laughs> yeah. What was the score of that one? You know, were you asking Alabama fan or an Auburn fan? What was the score in 1971? Most of them could tell you, you know, right. and then give you right. some details about that game. <laughs> Um, you know, it's just, it's, and uh, that's the nature of it being a different sport. They don't play 15 times. I, I, if, if every time I turn on the TV during baseball season, they're playing, they must play 60, 70 games a year against each other. <laughs> so, um, it certainly feels you know, like you, know, you get one shot at, you get one shot, you know, and if you ever drive through rural Alabama, you're probably flying in and taking the interstate, but go. North to south, anywhere, you know, I've covered a lot of high school uh, football in my, my 30-odd years of doing this. And you drive through a rural part of, of Alabama, and you'll inevitably, you know, on a backcountry road, you'll inevitably pass some barns with the score from the last win that their team had painted on the side That's of the so barn. That's awesome. Because they want to remind everybody. Um, there's, a, there's a really good barbecue joint between Tuscaloosa and, and uh, Montgomery called Jim's Pit where – you can almost monitor how the rivalry is going by, by how much space is occupied on their walls. They, they use the posters from all the sports that the SID, the media relations people put out, you know, the basketball poster and the football poster. And there was a time when Auburn had shrunk to, like, a little space between the door and the corner, and Alabama had the whole rest of the restaurant. Now it's nowhere close to 50-50. I think there are some more Alabama fans. They've been – winning more national championships and stuff, but it, it's Auburn, Auburn's crept up a little where it has some space on the wall in Jim's pit barbecue. And that's a, that's a good barometer. And then that's best barbecue sandwich in the state too, by the way. So real quick before you go on to what's going on in the field. I, I remember when I was talking to Dennis Francione one time, he told me, um, he told me that they actually burn the score with bleach in the lawns of their neighbors. Like if Alabama beats Auburn, their next door neighbors in Auburn, they burn, you know, 31 nothing, like big, not just a little bit, big, 31 nothing, like overnight in the lawn. And like, you're not getting that out, man. That's dead. You, you know, the grass is going <laughs> to die at 31 nothing. So anyway, all right, so let's go, let's go on the field. And I, to I know, me, one let, of the, let me interrupt. I don't know that story. I've never seen or heard of that, but there were probably some things burned in, in Francione's lawn when he, uh, when he yeah, ducked out sure. in the dead of night and left for Texas <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go to the field now. And I think one of the best stories of this team that's really, really way underreported is Damian Harris. I mean, he's had, number one, a terrific season. But number two, he's a great kid. He's got a great backstory. You were telling me a little bit about it. What, what's he like away from the field? 
You know, he's a really, really uh, kind of an intellectual kind of guy. He has a, a lot wider interest than just football. He's not a jock. He's a heck of a football player. But he's very similar in that way, you know, from another guy from that, that same area of the country around uh, upper Kentucky near Ohio, uh, Sean Alexander. He's very thoughtful. He's also very funny off the cuff. Uh, you know, the media really, really likes him because he'll tell you what he thinks and, and because he does have a lot of interest. And I'll, I'll share a story with you that uh, the first, I guess I probably did the first interview with him. Uh, it was, you know, we don't get to talk freshmen in Alabama and Alabama beat Florida in the SEC uh, championship game. They have an open locker room, so we get that opportunity to go in and, and talk to freshmen. And the first thing is I'm, I'm at the locker next to him talking to Keith Holcomb, the linebacker who had, who had been credited with a block punt that ended up a safety in the back of the end zone. And him and Damian got there right at the same time. And he overhears me asking Keith about blocking the punt and everything. And he just kind of leans and says, no, no, you go look at the pictures. My hand's under his. That's mine. And, and just they start drawing back and forth, you know, and he's just being funny, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't, he had no serious tone about it, but he was paying attention to what was going on, and he decided to needle Keith about that, so, um, so anyway, so I, so I also was talking to Bo Scarborough, who's a freshman, who we don't get to talk to, who's a local guy, and um, Bo, Bo on that same play had tried to do like a basketball save in the back of the end zone where he jumped up back and tried to throw the ball back so they could get a touchdown instead of a save. Yeah, I remember that. And, and, and yep. just missed it, but the athleticism of Bo, as you know, is a enormously athletic, large running back. Uh, um, you know, look, and, and I, I said, Damian, what what do you think about this guy? You know, and and his quote was, "He's a running back, and he looks like a defensive lineman. It's effing ridiculous." <laughs> like at this point, and just shakes his head, you know, because he's a running back too, and he doesn't look like a defensive lineman. He looks like a running back, and that right there, I said, "Look, next year I'm going to be wanting to talk to you when we can talk to you as a sophomore as often as possible." I'm going to hang around your locker, man. All right, so, yeah, exactly. So you're, you're my guy, um, but he he has been that. He's a great, and he also, you know, like a lot of guys like that. He'll, he'll, he likes talking about other guys on the team, and he'll tell you good stories about them, and, and give you more insight into who they are as people than just football stuff. If you're doing a story on a bow, or you're doing a story on Jalen or something, he's a guy you want to talk to because he will he will have insights because he's an insightful guy. Yeah, I mean, and Tommy, I mean, I, I know running backs are a diamond does in the NFL. I get that. But I'm telling you right now, man, he has played his way from a guy who's really not even on the radar to a guy who might go late first round. I mean, he's he's got that kind of potential. Yeah, another thing is he can be an every down back in the NFL, which is really valuable um, where you're on the field on third down. Um, you know, those, most people in the NFL play committee, but if you have to substitute a different guy in on third down, you know, if it's third and 18, that's one thing. If it's third and four, and you want to keep the illusion with the possibility that they have to defend the run, and you don't have to bring in a third down back. Uh, and Alvin Kamara, he's not quite that. Um, and and that Alvin's more of a strictly uh, third down back mold, um, Darren Sproles type guy. But he's a guy who's versatile. He, get, you know, he picks up blitzes and, and does a great job on that. So he's good without the ball in his hands. But he can also catch it and run, and he can hit the hole fast. So, yes, I think he is an NFL back, and I think he's established himself as that. All right, so we, we can talk about Jalen Hurts. He's having another terrific year. I don't think his numbers show it that much, but he's having a terrific year. 
I think Calvin Ridley's having a terrific year. He's playing for NFL money, clearly. He's going to get picked high in the NFL draft. Let's go over to the defense, Tommy, because to me, were they exposed a little bit against Mississippi State? I mean, clearly there's there's problems right now with the linebackers, but I think it's as, it's as much the D-line as it is the linebackers. I think so. They don't have the depth up front that they've had, and they certainly don't have the, you know, the, the Jonathan Allen um, kind of guys that, that can just create a pass rush on their own. They're getting most of their pass rush more from blitzing and, and you know, bringing guys. They, they don't get that kind of – I think they're still pretty stout against the run statistically, but, but it's been shown that you can run on them. To some degree, you can run on Alabama, which hasn't been the case. Now, not everybody can run on Alabama, and if you don't have a passing threat, then you probably can't. And it certainly helps if you've got a quarterback, you know, um, like Mississippi State has who can add to that running game. And Auburn's not quite in that mold, but they're very balanced. Um, and, and, and I think it is true that it's not like Mississippi State was averaging six yards of carry. They ran the ball right. a lot. But they didn't, you know, they didn't get big chunks. They, they did get some fives and six and sevens. They didn't get a lot of 20s and 30s. And Alabama doesn't give up a lot of those. But they're not as strong as linebacker with all the injuries as they've been in the past. And, uh, I do think that a, a balanced team like an Auburn could give them some trouble there. So, so take me through the linebackers now. From the beginning of the season when it started, game one, to where they are now, how different is that? are those three spots right now? I think they're, I think they're pre- pretty solid in the middle um, so far. You know, I, I think that has worked out. Dylan Moses stepping up has really changed that a little bit last week, and we'll see if he does the same against Auburn, but when they were without Rashawn for a few weeks, they didn't play the type teams who could exploit it. That was when they were playing you know, Colorado State and Fresno State, which actually turned out to be pretty decent teams, but they're not SEC. And uh, and then, you know, your baby old Miss, there wasn't anybody out there that they played at that time that could have exploited what they were like without Rashawn Evans. He's the biggest difference maker. He is in the mold of all those NFL linebackers they've got. Um where I think they're hurting is at the edge rush more, even though the more the more of the injuries have been at the outside spot. And I don't know if they're going to be as good at that anyway, but they don't have those guys like a Reuben Foster could get in the backfield or like um, a Ryan Anderson could get in the backfield and just create havoc. And, and if you look at yeah. Auburn's weaknesses, they have, they have given up facts and chunks to teams that have good edge rushes. And that's something Alabama doesn't have as well right now. Yeah, it seems to me, Tom, they, they don't have those disrupt guys. A lot of coaches call them the disruptors. It's not necessarily a sack, but guys that can actually force bad plays, force quicker decisions. And I just don't see – I don't – you look at them, and I don't see them not only in the front board, but like, like you were saying, the, the rush guy and the linebacker. They just don't have that this year. No. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's something Auburn's going to have to try to exploit. And – and having a between-the-tackles running game would help you exploit that. If Auburn can get that going, then, then those guys can't pin their ears back, the, the ones who are capable of getting back there. Even on blitzing, you might want to cut that down a little because of on Johnson and the threat there. Um, I do think that, that Alabama is more vulnerable to a mobile quarterback. Um, the stationary guy where you just have to get to a spot, I still think they're going to be pretty good at that, even if they blitz here and there to do it. So... I think it's really intriguing. Um, Alabama plays kind of, you know, they're, they're base 3-4, you say, but they play more nickel than they play anything. 
with Auburn's running game, I'm curious to see if they're going to play more nickel or if they're going to play play more linebackers. Uh, that that to me is a big if, and I'm sure there'll be a mix of that. But which is the predominant? I mean, you 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 got to play more <laughs> more third thir- more three four, don't you? I mean, you have to with the way Carryon Johnson's running the ball and the way they're very deliberate and how they're running with him. You got to play more against the run, don't you? I mean, you have to force Stidham to beat you. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, that's the that's the model Nick Saban's followed forever and, and been very good at is, you know, take away the run and make them beat you otherwise. And occasionally when Alabama does get beat, as we all know, it's usually that quarterback having his career-type game. Uh, you know, it's the Bo Wallace being good, Bo Wallace and great Bo Wallace for one day. It's Stephen Garcia, who nobody had ever seen him be that before. Um, but It still hasn't. <laughs> still haven't seen him be it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still look at the film of that something. I'm kidding, but you could look at the film of that sometime, and I would swear there's an imposter. But I'm, I'm telling you right now, that's a that's classic Stephen Garcia is what that is. Classic. Yeah, it's yeah, but he never did that before. Uh, uh, I Spurrier told me this anecdote one time, and this is a great anecdote. I've never told this, and you'll love this. They're in a game. They're playing a game, right? Spurrier calls timeout, brings Garcia over. They're running basically five wide. So he's telling he tells Steven, I'm gonna the four guys are going vertical, one guy's dragging. You hit the guy dragging over the middle. Okay. They go back out there. Ball is snapped. First thing first thing Garcia does, takes takes deep drop, chucks it deep for Alshon Jeffrey. Doesn't even go to the guy <laughs> over the middle. That that right there is Steven Garcia. He's just, you know, right. you you get what you can. And, and when he's hot and when he's on, you beat Alabama. Yeah, it's one of those things you yell at him about it when he completes it, and you say, "Good, good choice." Uh, you right. know? But uh, yeah, I, I think Auburn's going to have to get some yards in big chunks. Uh, Alabama is still a really hard team to drive on, um, and, and you know have a sustained possession without a big play here and there. And I think I think Stidham's uh, a really good downfield passer, and they've taken some shots downfield. I think that's the biggest dimension they have that they lacked the last couple of years. Is, is that they can stretch the field. Now, can they stretch the field against Alabama, which I think has a much better secondary than, say, last year? Um, right. They have guys who can play man and don't need the safety help as much. That doesn't mean you're never going to beat them, but it's hard to consistently beat them. And then when you do beat them, you darn sure better complete the pass. If you, if you get a step on them and you overthrow it, you might not get that opportunity again, say, that quarter or that half. Right, you better you better make some of those uh, do drop throws that Nick Marshall was making in 2014 in that game. Yeah, exactly, and 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 they're easier to defend in that in that regard because this is not an RPO guy. Um, you right. know, I think there are a couple of passes there. You know, I mean, I, I lean on the if there's a lineman five yards downfield, where's the flag? I mean, how is a defender supposed to defend the pass when the linemen are five yards downfield? I think there was a missed call there, but. They're not that type team. They may carry out as if they're going you know, they'll run some zone read and stuff, but who's really paying attention? Yes, Stidham may have two runs that matter in a game like that. Um, I think we saw one last week, the week before, and it was like, oh, gosh, I forgot. You know, he's allowed to run. Um, he's not the guy that's going to beat you running. Uh, Jalen is the guy who's going to beat you running. All right, real quick now. I, I, and I hate doing this because I love just celebrating the moment, and I want to celebrate this game. But let's just say something crazy happens and Auburn wins like a 24-23 game, 24-21. Can Alabama still get to that college football playoff, you think, with a close loss? You think their resume is strong enough? 
I, I kind of do. Um, you know, when, when you compare, you know, they wouldn't have as many because the SEC is down and because Florida State uh, crapped the bed. Um, and I think their problems are deeper than quarterback to me, obviously. Um, that would have, you know, that, that's one where you're, when you schedule it, you've, you've scheduled a tougher game than anybody in the country. Um, right. And it didn't work out that way. But when you scheduled it, you were scheduling a, a powerhouse. Um, they do have LSU. They do have Mississippi State. You know, those are the big, you know, I don't think it, I think it would help them a little with Fresno State. They're not going to be top 25 necessarily, but if they beat Boise, I think, that this week, um, that's, that's a good non-conference win. It's better than some, better than Wisconsin has. Um, right, right. But with, but with a one loss, I do think it's fair to compare the, you know, the the losses and say a loss like you described to Auburn versus a loss to Syracuse. And and I like Dabo. You know, I know Dabo really really well. I've known him since he was a player. But come on, don't tell me when I start hearing, well, it was a Friday night game. That's a factor. What night of the week you play is a factor. Saturday games count less than Friday games. Who came up with that? And if you want to give me the, the injury excuse, where's the bonus for winning games with injuries? You know, I mean, it's not like they got beat six to three. They all, they gave up some points to freaking Syracuse. And they did. They did. That, that's not your quarterback. Well, how many tackles would he have made? But when Alabama's yeah. gone through the majority of the season without a full complement of linebackers, and I don't mean just one guy missing, but – but half the depth chart missing and winning games, that doesn't matter. If you win the games with injuries, they're just games. But if you lose, all of a sudden you get credit as if you won. They didn't it win. Depends. <laughs> it depends on the narrative, man. It depends on where you are in the narrative. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. But, but I think an unsightly loss um, would, would – I, I would tip the scale in Alabama's favor. But, you know, it depends a lot. If Wisconsin gets beat, that comes into it. Um, right. You know, a lot of other things. So if Oklahoma doesn't win, that, that really changes things. Well, then we got all hell breaking loose. Then it's 2007 all over again. Listen, man, I appreciate all your time. Fantastic breakdown of this game. Have a great time this weekend, all right? All right. Happy Thanksgiving. Everybody enjoy your turkey or whatever it is you do. Awesome. Thanks, Tommy. All right. All right. That's Tommy Dees from the Tuscaloosa News, the executive sports editor there. That's a terrific newspaper. It's not that big of a circulation. Uh, they do fantastic work there, though. You know, and Tommy brought up a good point there right near the end when he was talking about it, when I asked him, I should say, about the college football playoff and what happens if Alabama loses a tight game at Auburn. You know, and again, I, what I told Tommy is what I truly believe. It depends on what narrative you're trying to push. You know, whether you're from this area of the United States or that area of the United States, it clearly depends on that. Tommy's point was, well, I mean, look at Clemson's loss to Syracuse. You know, if Alabama's got a one-point loss to Auburn and then Clemson has this loss to Syracuse. And then the whole point, though, and I think this is something that we've learned over the last three years with the college football playoff, the emphasis really isn't on losses. The emphasis is more on wins and impressive wins and big wins. And Clemson beat Auburn. And if it comes down to that, to Clemson and Alabama, Clemson beat Auburn, Alabama didn't. So I don't think it's going to come down to those two. But if it does come down to those two, and their resume, and one of them's got a championship, one of them doesn't, one of them beat Auburn, one of them didn't, it's not even close what will happen. It will be Clemson. It's not, and I think that's one, that's one thing that I think needs to be really underscored in this whole process, and that you have to look at the first three years of the college football playoff and see this, see this trend, 
it's not about losses. It really isn't. It's really, I think they put more weight on big wins, where the wins happened, when the wins happened. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this and people are going to laugh at me, but you better believe they look at brand. If you don't think they look at brand, you are absolutely nuts. Because that's how Ohio State got in over Baylor and TCU. Because they didn't have a better resume. And they had a worse loss. And I'm telling you right now, whether you believe this or not, there's a very clear way of having two teams with two losses in the college football playoff. And I, and I know it's easy for people to get caught on the whole two-loss thing. Well, they've got two losses, and they've only got one. I'm going to say this again, and I'm going to say it again and again during this week, and again and again next week. Losses are not as important as wins especially when you're talking about two relatively comparable teams that they're looking at in the last week of the season. And you want to know how two teams with two losses get in that college football playoff ahead of two teams with one loss? Very, very easy. Auburn beats Alabama, which will give it its second win over a team ranked number one by that college football playoff selection committee. Remember, they beat Georgia as well. And then Auburn has to beat Georgia again in the SEC championship game. Auburn wins out, they're in. It's not even a question. They are in. There's no question at all. They're not going up against anybody. They will be in. They might even be as high as like number two in the nation in that poll, okay? They went out, they're in. Absolutely in. Now here's where it gets dicey. If Ohio State beats Michigan this week, on the road in Ann Arbor, that game might be a little tougher than people think. And I know Michigan's playing really poorly. But that's a big game. That's on the road. And Ohio State, as they've shown this year, has the ability for a clunker. All right? That's a very talented Ohio State team. But they come out. They've done it at least twice. In a couple other games they've won, too, where they just literally just don't play anywhere close to their talent level. But if Ohio State beats Michigan, then goes into the Big Ten Championship game and beats unbeaten Wisconsin, guess who's getting into that playoff? If you don't think they're not getting into that playoff, all you got to do, once again, we go back to this all the time, go right back to that TCU, Baylor, and Ohio State in over both those teams with better resumes. It's, it's clearly about how you finish the wins, the impressiveness of the wins and how you finish. So Ohio State will have annihilated a Michigan State team that was I ranked, I believe, in the top 15 of the college football playoff when they played. And if they went big over, over Wisconsin, I mean, that's it. it's, a, it's a lock. It'll be just like the TCU-Baylor year, the same thing. They'll get in. So you'll have Ohio State with two losses in, Auburn with two losses in, and you'll have one loss Wisconsin out, one loss Miami out. Again, you cannot get caught up in this whole, these guys got two losses, these guys got one losses. You can't. You absolutely can't do it. Because that's not what it's about. It's about the wins. The wins are the most important thing at the end of the year. And that is where I think it's going to hurt Alabama. Because if Alabama does lose to Auburn this week, I don't care how close it is, then once you put Alabama up against any other team, any other of those four or five or six elite teams, then you start to say, well, who did Alabama beat? And I'm with, I'm with Tommy D's on this. I think at the moment of that game, I don't think there's a bigger win than anyone, than Alabama over Florida State. Because Florida State was a true, elite, national title contending team with DeAndre Francois. Once you lose your quarterback, all bets are off. 
once you're playing a true freshman quarterback, it affects everything. It affects the way you play on defense. It affects the way you coach. It affects the way players prepare for games. Don't think it doesn't because it does. It absolutely does. Florida State with DeAndre Francois is an elite top three or four team. Without him, look what they are. They're struggling to be bowl eligible. So let's not even get into that, okay? Because let's just look at that game as it is, not at what it is later down the road. And I truly believe that the committee will also look at that game that way. But then that's it. You could say Mississippi State's a good win. You could say LSU's a good win. Any of those teams can point to conference, conference games and wins in their conference that are just as comparable. And that's what's going to hurt Alabama. That's where it's going to be dangerous. That's why they can't afford to lose this game to Auburn. I'm telling you right now. And I know there will be some on the committee that will want Alabama as one of those four teams simply based on the eye test. And I get that. I absolutely get that. But if you are among that group, then you're saying that there's going to be two teams from the SEC that are getting in that game. And this late in the process, with this many teams still with as good or better resumes than Alabama, I'm just not seeing that. And there's no way Alabama gets in over Auburn. That's not happening. So it's the way this has played out now, it's now starting to turn toward this is a win or you're not getting in the playoff for Alabama this week. And as crazy as that sounds, considering Alabama has been a lock since September, that's kind of reality. Because if Alabama loses, they're going to need a whole lot of help. Like I said earlier, it's going to have to start looking like 2007, where everybody's losing, no matter who's at number one, they're losing. 2007, the last weekend of the season, West Virginia and Missouri went in at one and two. All they had to do was win to get into the BCS National Championship game. They both lost. Now, Missouri lost to a really good Oklahoma team, and they, Oklahoma was actually the favorite. But West Virginia lost to a four and, what was Pitt, four and six or five and six? Just an awful Pitt team. Pat White got hurt, and the next thing you know, it all starts to unfold for West Virginia. So Alabama might need that. They might be in a situation where they're sitting at home, if they lose to Auburn, where they're sitting at home and hoping for the unthinkable to happen, to get back into the national picture, to get back into the college football playoff. Okay, before we get into the picks, I want to move over to the joyride that is the Chip Kelly saga. The hottest coach that's not coaching currently for the 2018 season. And right now, it looks like Florida's trying to zero in on Chip Kelly. It looks like UCLA's got a chance to make a run at Chip Kelly after firing Jim Moore a couple days ago. And my question, if I'm Chip Kelly after, oh, by the way, Chip Kelly was on ESPN this weekend. Uh, during the, I guess, the Saturday night wrap-up show when they were showing highlights. And he kind of flippantly said, you know, I'm not talking to anybody right now. I live in New Hampshire. I didn't go anywhere. And then he said, you know, the Florida job's a great job. Whatever, whoever gets that's going to be one lucky guy. Who knows what that means? If it's some kind of indicator, who knows? But if I'm Chip Kelly right now, and it's clear now that despite the fact that he had an 18-month show cause from Oregon, despite the fact that it's very clear what happened there in Oregon. And I know this is going to shock a lot of you, but winning supersedes all. And right now, you've got a handful of either one-time elite programs, wannabe elite programs that are desperate enough to say, you know what, we'll deal with it. If he's a guy that eventually does what he did before, maybe the risk is worth the reward. And that's where it is right now. 
That's where it is. The desire to win, the desire to compete at that level, the desire to get to the college football playoff is so great, you're willing to overlook a guy who clearly compromised values and ethics and got Oregon in trouble with the NCAA. And I don't want to hear about the NCAA and their statement that Chip Kelly was unaware that his football ops guy, Josh Gibson, was running this scheme of street agent Willie Lyles funneling players to Oregon for $25,000 and this bogus recruiting info. That was the cover for it. It was, you know, he was giving them recruiting info, which the first package of recruiting info that he gave them were outdated players, most of the guys that were actually currently playing college football. I don't want to hear that garbage from the NCAA. The NCAA is a joke, okay? It's an absolute joke. If you need any further assurances that the NCAA is a joke, look at what happened in North Carolina with those players in those sports, multiple sports, taking fake classes, bogus classes. And North Carolina's response to that was, well, any student could have taken those bogus classes. And the NCAA bought it. So spare me this, oh, the NCAA said Chip was unaware. You don't give a coach an 18-month show cause order, which is the worst order any coach could get, any penalty a coach could get is a show cause order. You do not give a guy an 18-month show cause order because he was unaware of something. They gave it to him because he was fully aware of it. Although they decided to publicly say he was unaware of it. I don't know why. Maybe to save him some shame. To, allow, to give him the ability, like if, he, if it didn't work out in the NFL, he could come back and coach college football. Because that's exactly the scenarios that's playing out right now. Anybody out there who thinks that Chip Kelly did not know that his football ops guy was running a system where a street agent was funneling players to his team, you literally live in la-la land. Now that said, if you're Chip Kelly, and clearly all these major programs, these former championship programs, these wannabe championship programs that are willing to turn a blind eye, that are willing to take the risk for the reward, why would you all of a sudden limit yourself to Florida? Why wouldn't you play a little bit? Play the game a little bit. UCLA is now available. By the end of this week, Texas A&M will be available. Texas, I mean, you're talking about some significant money with Texas A&M. Arizona State probably going to be available. There are jobs out there that, while maybe not as high profile as Florida, because I think Florida is one of the top 10 jobs in the country, are jobs where you're going to get paid a ton of money and where you might be able to win a heck of a lot easier than winning in Florida. So if you're Chip Kelly right now, I'd play the field a little bit. I would de- if, if it's clear now that everybody is, they don't care anymore about show cause orders, they don't care anymore that it's clear he was part of the system at Oregon that had a street agent funnel players to his program. If you're in a situation where it's clear that's not happening and people don't care anymore, why would you not then play it for all it's worth? Let everybody come to you then. Let all these teams come to you and say, this is what we'll do for you, X, Y, and Z. You don't have to go on these booster trips in the offseason. You don't have to do this glad-handing stuff. All you got to do is coach football. Somebody will tell him that. And then they'll tell him, we'll give you $6 million a year. So if I'm Chip Kelly, and the circumstances how they are right now, you better believe I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to start looking at other people. I'm not just going to be limited to Florida. I'm going to look at UCLA. I'm going to look at Texas A&M. 
I'm going to look at Arizona State. I'm going to look at whatever pops up. Because now, it's clear, people are coming after him. And this, of course, leads to the idea that I floated out there about five, four, five, maybe even six weeks ago. That half of the league's 14 teams could have new coaches in 2018. Half. That's insane. That's downright certifiable insane. Think about it. Florida and Tennessee already looking for coaches. Arkansas, there was a report out uh, this weekend that after Arkansas has lost it, uh, Bielema and Arkansas will part ways at the end of this week after Arkansas gets blown out by Missouri because that's coming. And then you've got Texas A&M. Kevin Sumlin has been on the hot seat since last spring when his AD basically said he's got to win more games. I'm not even sure that a win over LSU will keep Kevin Sumlin employed at Texas A&M. So that's four. And then, of course, the fifth is Matt Luke at Ole Miss, and Matt Luke's an interim coach, and they're not sticking with Matt Luke. They will go find another coach who they think can kind of recreate what Hugh Freeze did there. And by did there, I mean, of course, beat Alabama two years in a row, you know, went to some big bowl games. Not the lunacy that happened after that. So that's six. Number seven, then, becomes this interesting case for Auburn. Three weeks ago, we're talking, wait, Gus Malzahn, if he doesn't beat Georgia, he might be out. He might have to beat Georgia or Alabama to keep his job at Auburn. He might have to beat both to keep his job at Auburn. Four or five weeks ago, I floated the idea that if Brett Bielema gets fired at Arkansas, I've had multiple, multiple industry people tell me that Gus Malzahn would go to Arkansas. He's an Arkansas guy. They love him there. It would allow him the ability to restart his clock, to go from a guy that might be a year away from getting fired at Auburn to a guy that's got a new five- or six-year deal at Arkansas. And now here we are with Gus, a win away against Alabama from playing Georgia again in the SEC championship game, which would then put them one win away from playing in the college football playoff. Now, if Gus beats Alabama, Auburn will do everything it possibly can do to keep Gus Malzahn. Even if they don't beat Georgia and win the SEC, they will do everything they can to keep Gus Malzahn because you don't just beat Alabama and let the coach go, especially a guy that has proven, if this happens this week, that he's done it before. It's not just a fluke. Auburn will do everything it can to keep him. Now, will that be enough? I don't know. I don't know. But I could certainly see a situation where Alabama wins this game. Auburn is then out of the West Division Championship race. They finish their season. And then all of a sudden, Arkansas starts looking a lot better for Gus than going into 2018 and hearing constantly, you know, now you're at a guy that's lost four straight years to Alabama. He had his best team in three years last year, couldn't beat Alabama. You start hearing things like that, the end is near and you know it is. So the decision then becomes for Gus, what do you do? Do you ride that one year, who knows what could happen? Or do you say, you know what, I'm going to go to Arkansas and I'm going to restart my clock and everything's going to be okay. Seven teams, seven of the 14. And I know when I first brought this up five or six weeks ago, you, you guys were probably saying, and you got to be kidding me. The SEC's not losing, losing seven coaches. Trust me. If Auburn doesn't win this week, 
the likelihood of that happening is a lot greater than not. So you got Florida, Tennessee, Arkansas, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Auburn, and then Mississippi State is the seventh. Because Dan Mullen could choose what job he wants at this point. I don't know if he's going to go. My guess would be he's going to go. Because at some point, you know, double-digit years is enough at a, at a school. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that at all. And he's done wonderful, wonderful work at Mississippi State. But I think coaches, they all have egos. And we talked about this before. They all have egos. And they all need those egos to be fed. And they all need a challenge. So if you get in a situation where a major program, and I'm not saying Mississippi State's not a major program, but if you get in a situation where a major program is going to offer Dan Mullen a lot of money, then yeah, I think he definitely takes a serious look at that. Whether it's Tennessee, whether it's Nebraska, whether it's Arizona State, whether it's UCLA, yeah, absolutely. I absolutely think he takes a long, hard look at that. All right, let's move on to the weekly picks. Three and two last week. I got a couple of gut punches, absolute gut punches. The Texas A&M Ole Miss game, just a shame, an absolute shame the way that thing ended. As far as gambling purposes, not as far as what happened on the field. And again, I'm not telling you to gamble, but if you are gambling, here's my idea. All right, three and two last week, 37 and 23 for the season, still above 60%. We're right at .616 right now. And because it's rivalry week, it's not going to be your typical pick five. We got nine games we're looking at right now. Nine big games. So let's start out with the big one in Gainesville. And I use that term loosely. Florida State, lane five at Florida, home underdog. Gators feeling a little bit better about themselves after beating UAB, big bad UAB. And How does UAB not make anyone feel better about who and what they are, right? Here's the one thing I noticed during that Florida game. I watched, you know, probably five or six series of that game. They are such a poorly coached team. And again, I understand that their head coach is gone, and I get it that things kind of get a little sideways once that happens. But this was something that was playing out the entire season. They are so poorly coached. It's not just the quarterbacks where that's a glaring, a glaring problem. Those quarterbacks are so poorly coached. The receivers are poorly coached. The offensive line is poorly coached. They don't do basic things. They don't run routes correctly. They don't break off routes correctly. They block poorly on the outside as receivers. Those things are coached. That's coaching. And to me... That's as much of a problem, a byproduct of what Jim McElwain did in the three years he was there as anything. They're just poorly coached. I mean, defensively, again, when we talked about elite players that Will Muschamp left for them, but Jeff Collins is a good coach. You can clearly see how different that defense is. And I know the talent level is not the same. They're not the same team as far as the way they're put in position to make plays. I've never seen a secondary, never, number one, tackle so poorly, and number two, cornerbacks that don't locate the ball. They just absolutely cannot locate the ball. We're now 12 games into this season, or 11 games for Florida because they have one cancellation. 11 games in, those corners, who I think got a chance to be really good. I think Henderson and Wilson 
when they're coached correctly, can be really good players. They do not locate the ball, and that's the number one thing for a cornerback. And this, of course, leads to this weekend's game because I think James Blackman throws a nice deep ball. I really do. And I think he's going to hit a couple big plays for Florida State. And that Florida State D that's been playing a lot better lately, they're going to play really well. And I'm going to lay those five points, and I'm going to take the Knowles. All right, Texas A&M travels to LSU. A big game for Kevin Sumlin. Again, I think they could even beat LSU, and I'm not sure he keeps that job. But I don't think they have a chance to beat LSU. I think LSU's playing really well right now, not only defensively, but I think offensively, the system, the, the Matt Canada system, is really starting to take hold there. They're really running the ball downhill with power. And then they get those deceptive sweeps. They got receivers that can really run. Not only are they fast, but they know how to run and they, they see holes. You know, and I think Danny Etling's really starting to throw the ball well. It's taken a while, but he's there now. He's there and he's playing with a lot more confidence. And you look at Texas A&M and, and they just, I, I don't know what it is with them defensively because they've got players. And John Chavis is a terrific defensive coach. For some reason, they have not been able to play defense under Kevin Sumlin. It's just, it just boggles the mind, actually. John Chavis didn't forget about coaching. Remember those great defenses at Tennessee? The dude knows how to coach ball. For some reason, the Aggies are horrible on defense. Game after game, year after year. They can't stop the run. You think they're going to stop LSU from running the ball? Williams and Geis? No way. No way, no chance. LSU's a 10-point favorite. I'm laying those 10, taking the Tigers, and I can't wait to see how much money Texas A&M throws at Jimbo Fisher. I'm guessing, my guess would be it's going to be probably $7 million a year and then an unlimited budget for his assistant so he can hire whoever he wants, the best staff known to man, and then you're going to really see what happens at Texas A&M because Jimbo can flat-out coach. Jimbo's a top-10 coach. You get him in that program with that kind of money, those facilities, and again, if you've never been to Texas A&M and you don't know what it's like there, the facilities now are as good or better than any NFL program. Any one of them. They're unbelievable what they got going on at Texas A&M. The stadium's fantastic. The game day experience is fantastic. The traditions, everything. They're literally just waiting for someone to take them and say, look, here's how you win. Here's how we're going to do it. And that's why I think they're going to offer Jimbo the moon. The moon to try and get him there. All right, Louisville travels to Kentucky in a big game in the Commonwealth. This is a, another, another one of those bitter rivalries. Man, these two teams. But let's, let's zero in on Kentucky real quick, all right? Because this, to me, just boggles the mind. Kentucky beat Missouri in the first week of October to go to 5-1. Five 5-1. And, and, and that one loss was because Kentucky failed to cover a Florida receiver not once, but twice, including the game winner. For the Gators. So Kentucky should have been 6-0. But they're sitting there at 5-1 after beating Missouri. They've got two weeks to prepare for Mississippi State. Two weeks. They get annihilated by 38. Then they beat Tennessee because everybody beats Tennessee. You got six wins and you're thinking, all right, we're good. We still got a chance at nine. Then they somehow lose to Ole Miss at home. Never should have happened. Beat Vandy because everybody's beaten Vandy in the second half of the season. Get blown out by Georgia. And now here they are at home against Louisville, a team they beat last year on the road. 
You win, you get to eight wins. You got a chance to get to a bowl game and get to that elusive nine-win spot. There's still chance. There's still chance for the Big Blue Nation to hit nine wins. But this is also Lamar Jackson's last regular season game at Louisville. Lamar Jackson right now is playing for NFL scouts. And there a lot of NFL scouts think he's got a chance to play quarterback in the league. Still a lot of questions about him throwing the ball. I think he's a, I think he's a guy that in the right system with the right coach can absolutely be an NFL quarterback. He just he's just raw, that's all. And I think he's he's getting he's a much better thrower this year than he was last year. He has the arm strength to make all the throws. There's no doubt about that. I think he can get there. We'll see what happens. But this is a big game for him. I mean, this is, again, NFL scouts will be there. A lot of it is, you know, and scouts will tell you this, your tape is your resume. So, you know, he's got to play. And, and Louisville has struggled this year. Now, that's, clearly that's not because of Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's had a terrific season. He may not be putting up the numbers from last year's Lamar Jackson. But if you've got a touchdown-interception ratio of, of 23 to 6, and you're completing 60% of your passes, and you've rushed for almost 1,300 yards and 17 touchdowns, you're clearly showing that you're a guy that can be a dangerous player. And, and I, I think there are definitely, in fact, I've spoken to a couple NFL scouts that think he's a guy that, again, in the right system, can play in the NFL at that position. He's got to get a little bigger. There's no doubt about that. He's got to put on weight. But he has the basics, the potential to be a guy that can play in the NFL. Now, all that said... I mean, you got to be kidding me. I'm laying those nine points. I think Louisville wins big in this game. Absolutely wins big. All right, Vanderbilt travels to Tennessee, and lo and behold, the Vols are a one-point favorite because if there's one team in the SEC that's playing worse than Tennessee and Florida right now, it's Vanderbilt. I'm laying the one point. I'm taking the Vols. We don't need to get into all the Gruden rumors. Gruden's not happening. And I know Tennessee fans hate to hear that, and they still, they're still holding out hope. John Gruden will not be your coach. Not going to happen. Now, the question is, can Tennessee people rally around whoever the coach is? Because no matter what, whoever that coach is is not going to be Gruden. So it'll automatically be the second choice, even though it probably isn't the second choice. If you're Tennessee and you lure Dan Mullen away from Mississippi State, that's not a second choice. That's a great hire. That's a fantastic hire. So to sum up, A, Gruden not coming. B, Dan Mullen would be a great hire. C, suck it up and hope for the best. And then D, lay the one, take the Vols. All right. Missouri is given 11 at Arkansas. The home dogs. I know all you guys love home dogs. Forget about that. This Arkansas team is in the tank. Missouri is playing really well. Drew Locke's playing for NFL money. He's getting better and better every week. I'm laying those 11. I'm taking Missouri. There's no, no need to even explain that one. That's, that's a given. That's an absolute given. Ole Miss is getting 17 at Mississippi State. Uh, you know what? This game scares me a little bit, just as far as, again, gambling purposes. I'm not a professional gambler. I'm giving you suggestions. This game kind of stands out a little bit for me because 17 is a lot of points in a rivalry game. 17 is a lot of points for an Ole Miss offense that can clearly score points. and and will play hard in the Egg Bowl. Because we were talking about bitter rivalries before. Holy moly, the Egg Bowl. And again, I know I say this with every game we're talking about now, how bitter these games are. This is the beauty of rivalry week. This is, the Egg Bowl is fantastic. Another one of those bucket list games that if you get a chance to go to, 
absolutely go. I'm taking Ole Miss in the 17. All right, let's wrap this up with the two biggies right now. We got Clemson at South Carolina. South Carolina's getting 14 points, and we talked about that Ole Miss 17-point line standing out. Here's another one. 14 points is a big, big number in this game on the road for Clemson. Clemson has struggled at times on the road this year. That place will be wild in Williams-Brice Stadium. Absolutely wild. Gamecocks are playing better defensively the second half of the season. They play smart on offense. It's rare that you see them turn the ball over. I think they're going to play really well. They were embarrassed by last year's game. When I went there in the spring to work on a profile of Jake Bentley, a lot of those guys, a lot of those players there were talking about how embarrassed they were from, the, from last year's Clemson game and how it was just absolutely got out of control and they got humiliated. And it kind of showed them how far they were from competing at that elite level. And they're going to compete really hard in this game. They're not going to beat Clemson, but they're going to keep it closer than 14. I'm taking the 14 with South Carolina. All right, so now we arrive to the big one, Alabama and Auburn, the Iron Bowl, the game to see who wins the SEC West, to who goes and plays in the SEC Championship game against Georgia, to see if either one of these guys can beat Georgia and get to the college football playoff. I really like the way Auburn's playing right now. Defensively, they just get after it in the front seven. They're very smart on defense. They don't gamble. It's a very solid, stout defense. And I think that's the way you play Alabama. So here's what Kevin Steele's going to do. He's going to roll a safety on Calvin Ridley, who has 52 catches for Alabama. The next guy, as far as catches for Alabama, It's Cam Sims, and he has 13. Jerry Judy has 12. Calvin Ridley is the guy they throw the ball to. Kevin Steele will roll a safety on him. They'll stop the run, and they're going to force Jalen Hurts to beat them by throwing to someone other than Calvin Ridley. Then Auburn's going to get the ball on offense. They're going to run downhill against that depleted linebacker core. Jared Stidham's going to make a couple key big throws in the game. Might even have a couple key runs. He's not a guy that has shown much at all in the run game, at all, except for Georgia when he had that key little keep on the, on the zone read and scored a touchdown. He might get a couple key runs in that game, but it's going to be more his arm. He's going to get a couple key throws, a handful of key throws, and Auburn's going to win this game. I'm taking Auburn in the four points, but I think Auburn's going to win it outright, and that might be crazy because how do you pick against Alabama in big games, and I'm with you on that. I just got a feeling that Auburn's playing really well, And that Alabama defense is starting to really scare me. That Mississippi State game opened my eyes. They got problems at linebacker. I don't think they pressure the quarterback nearly like they used to. It's not the same type of Alabama defense. Now, if that Alabama defense from week one shows up where everybody was healthy and where they absolutely destroyed anything FSU tried in that game, then it's a different story. But you got a lot of injuries you got a lot of guys that have proven over the course of a season that they're not the type of edge rushers, the type of disruptors, like I spoke with with Tommy Dees earlier, that can, that can change a game. And I think that's the issue right now with the Alabama defense. All right, thanks for hanging with us. Again, I want to thank Tommy Dees with the Tuscaloosa News. A great breakdown of the Iron Bowl. Big week, rivalry week, turkey day on Thursday. Have a great Thanksgiving, everyone. Remember, like, subscribe to the podcast. Have a great weekend of games. We'll come back at you next week when it's championship week.